Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Wayne Community College in Goldsboro, North Carolina, sponsored by the Foundation of Wayne Community College. He just, like, soon after we got there, a couple things happened. These ladies right beside us had this new invention that I had never seen before. It's, you know how you can have, like, umbrellas on the beach, right? That's kind of the typical shade thing. There's this new thing that has, it's, it looks like it's made out of tent pole, but you stick it, stake it in the ground on one side, and it goes up into an arc, and it stakes on the other side. Have you seen these? Yeah. Yeah, and so and it's got like a flag like that floats. My parents looked into it. They were way more expensive than I thought. They asked me how much I thought. I said, you know, maybe eighty bucks. You know, two hundred and fifty dollars for these things. But it breaks down into a little carry case, you know, and it looked really comfortable. These these people were chilling in there all day long with you know plenty of shade, and so um, my dad was like all into it. He went and talked to the ladies, and he was, like, taking pictures of the logo so he could go look it up and stuff. And then after that, he found uh, another buddy who was from Jacksonville, this military guy, and started talking to him about everything that's going on in his life. And I'm like, then he pulled me into it. And it's, it's not, you know, I don't mind talking to people, but, you know, people that are relaxed and chill and, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe, maybe I'm the one that's being weird and not my dad, so I don't know. <laughs> My, but it will be weird if he listens to this podcast and then he starts talking junk. So, yeah. So, what else is new and exciting? Anybody watch anything good on streaming lately? I haven't seen anything really great lately. Anybody watch Project Power with Jamie Foxx yet? No, you saw it. What'd you think? It was pretty good. It was alright. Yeah, I've got it downloaded. I just haven't watched it yet. So, uh, I don't know. It like really takes effort for me to like commit to spending you know, two hours watching a movie. You know, I think an hour and a half is like the perfect movie time. It's just long enough, you know, but anything over an hour and a half nowadays, I'm just like, oh, God, this movie's too long, so. Um, how has the semester kicked off for you guys? you feel like it's been a good start, or what's up with you? You're struggling? Have you, have you got any tutoring or anything, or? It's more of like, Cengage giving me trouble. Oh, I got you. Did you get you get the Cengage Unlimited? Okay. Well, I had a decent experience with Cengage. Um, you know, I ran in. I didn't have hardly any problems with Cengage. The problems were on the student end that created problems for me. You know, so like, if I would have a hundred students and five or ten of them had Cengage issues, that created a lot of stress for me. So, I made the move along with a couple of my colleagues. We just stepped away from Cengage uh, a year or two ago. And right now, all my classes are 100% free books or open education resource. And so I really like that because it's not a question of access. Everybody has access to the book. Um, there's no, you know, if you've got internet access, you can get the book. And you can get it in um, online copy. You can get a PDF. You can print it out. You can get a physical book if you want one. So uh, the access is there. So, um, well, I hope that you can overcome those Cengage issues and... Did they get you straight? Mm-hmm. No, they're still still fighting through it. I was waiting. I've called them six times and they keep sending me to voicemail, and then I have started checking with them and I'll chat with one of them for three hours yesterday. Right. Um. Wow. I hate that you're still trying to work that. Are your teachers aware? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I hope that, yeah, stay in communication with your teachers because that's another friction point is we have students that run into problems and then there's very little communication and then we don't know, we can't help. And so, yeah, try to communicate as much as you can. So, um, so this is chapter two and this is on ethics and I'm going to kind of jump into this and get going with it. But um, every chapter and all the content from this is taken directly from the book and I, want, I do that to stay consistent. So the idea is that if you're in class, you hear the lecture or you're, uh, you're at home listening to the lecture, you're taking notes, you're reading the chapter, you're doing the homework. After all those exposures, it starts to internalize and you start to remember the things we talk about. Um, retention is one of those things that is small anyway. Even after you go through a degree program or a class, you only retain somewhere around 10% of what you're exposed to, to, exposed to. But the idea is that you form um, some memory centers around key concepts and ideas, and then you can draw upon those and reinvestigate them later on because now you have an awareness. What's up, guy? Come on in, man. This is Sean. He's in my Tuesday class, but since we have enough space to accommodate him, I told him he could come listen to this lecture. So what's going Doing okay today, buddy? All right. Good to have you, man. So, um, once again, Chapter 2, Ethics, and the learning outcomes for Chapter 2 are what philosophies and concepts shape personal ethical standards, how can organizations encourage ethical business behavior, what is corporate social responsibility, how do businesses meet their social responsibilities to various stakeholders, and what are the trends in ethic, ethics and corporate social responsibility. So, we'll talk about all these as we kind of progress. And so... If this seems a little small, it looks okay, but um, all this content is in the book, so um, you don't have to like read or write word for word what's up here. You can just kind of get some ideas of what we're talking about. But the book defines ethics um, as a set of moral standards for judging whether something is right or wrong. It's a moral standard for making assessments of right and wrong. The first step in understanding business ethics is learning to recognize an ethical issue. An ethical issue is a situation where someone must choose between a set of actions that may be ethical or unethical. So recognizing unethical business activities, these are some examples of things that might occur. Taking things that don't belong to you, that's obviously an ethical issue. Saying things you know are not true. Giving or allowing false impressions. Buying influence or engagement in a conflict of interest, meaning that... Um, if you're, if you work for a company and then you invest in a competing company or you start a competing company, there's some ethical considerations there. Hiding or divulging information, uh, taking unfair advantage, committing improper personal behavior, uh, abusing power and mistreating individuals, permitting organizational abuse, violating rules, and then condoning uh, unethical behavior, condoning means to agree with or allow unethical actions. Uh, another factor influencing individual business ethics is justice or what is fair according to prevailing standards of society. We all expect life to be reasonably, reasonably fair. One of the philosophies that make uh, influence choice between right and wrong is utilitarianism, which focuses on the consequence of an action taken by a person or organization. 
And so a couple of different things to unpack there. Uh, we hear this, this word justice thrown around. What does that mean? Justice. What do you think? So ethics to begin with are, are not black and white. They're a gray area. And so meaning that what I consider to be ethical behavior, somebody else may consider to be unethical. And you see it all around us. I mean, um, let's just use a, like an easy example out there. Like there's this movement uh, about vaccinations. Some people believe that you should vaccinate children. Other people believe that you shouldn't vaccinate children, right? And there are those people that believe that you shouldn't vaccinate are called anti-vaxxers. Well, both sides think that they are being ethical in their interpretation of how they feel about that issue. Um, the, the people that are anti-vaccination think it's ethical for me to believe this because it's unethical to impose um, a medical standard on somebody else. So that's their belief system. They believe that's ethical. The, ant the, the people that are pro-vaccinations believe that it's unethical to not vaccinate children because if they don't do it, then you're putting not only your child at risk, but other people's children at risk and other human beings. So there's validity in both arguments, right? You can see there's validity. And the truth is kind of somewhere in the middle, the gray area that we talk about. And so um, you run into these things called ethical dilemmas. This is where you recognize, oh, wait, you know, you, you get this, this kind of sensation of, wait a second, something's not quite not right here. And it kind of gives you pause where you have to think about it for a second and say, I don't know, you know, like I don't, that this, the, the example of finding a thousand dollars in the street, right? Like there's this temptation to immediately grab it and put it in your pocket and walk away. But there's also this little voice in your head that says, you know, what if this is this family's that, you know, last thousand dollars and this is going to keep them going for another month, you know, and they just cashed it. This is the last bit of money they've got. Or even if it's not, what if it's a millionaire's thousand dollars? Does that change the ethical consideration? Does it, you know? But I mean, if, if you ask people, you know, like a ethics like a test, you say, you find $20 in a classroom floor, what do you do with it? You know, some people say put it in your pocket, walk away. Then you say, well, you find that $20, but then you find out that it belongs to somebody and that's their last $20 for a week. Then what do you do? And then you ask them the same question again, but you say, well, you find that $20, then you find out it belongs to a billionaire. What do you do? You know, and even though like, you know, the answer should be the same in each case, you know, I'll turn it back in or give it to the person it belongs to. It does change the consider the, the metrics. It changes the way you consider that question a little bit. It's like that example, you know, should you steal? No. Well, would you steal if you absolutely knew there was 0.0% .0 chance that you wouldn't suffer any negative consequences of it? You know, like there's a 0% outcome that anybody would ever know and you would never get in any trouble. And so then they say, well, wait a minute. I don't know. You know, you start to start to, the wheels start to turn. And that's, that's what we mean by these, like, uh, gray areas. Now, there's absolutes. Like, some people would go straight down and say, no, 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 never, never, never. 
Uh, other people, you know, maybe not. So there obviously is something there because humanity time and time again keeps doing unethical things. And this is why we keep teaching ethics because uh, time and time again people fall short. They, they have um, ethical dilemmas in which they fail. So the philosophy that says people should meet their obligations and duties when analyzing an ethical dilemma is called deontology. This means that a person will follow his or her obligations to another individual or society because upholding one's duty is what is considered ethically correct. You know, I, my wife has a tell on me, like, I can't lie to her. I mean, because I start smiling. I just, you know, like, I just can't do it. You know, like, I just, and for me, like, I sleep, I don't sleep great at night, but it's not because of my conscience. It's because I'm getting older, I'm achy and stuff, but... Uh, I sleep good with a clean conscience and I'm not worried about ethical dilemmas because I try to live my life kind of on the surface. I don't like to hide things. If I, if I drop the ball, I like to just say, hey, I dropped the ball, let me fix it, and then move on. Um, people choose between right and wrong based on their personal code of ethics. They are also influenced by the ethical environment created by their employers. Consider the following headlines. Investment advisor Bernie Madoff sentenced to 150 years in prison for swindling clients out of $65 billion. Former United Airlines CEO Jeff um, Smisick leaves the company after federal investigations into whether United tried to influence officials at the Port Authority of New York. Renaud LaPanche, the founder of the Lending Club, loses his job because of um, faulty practices and conflicts of interest at the online peer-to-peer -peer lender. Wells Fargo CEO uh, John Strumpf fired after um, company employees opened more than 2 million fake accounts to meet aggressive sales target, targets. So these are something that you continually see in the headlines. One I like to show in class, I'll just tell you about it instead of pulling it up, is this um, peanut butter company CEO. Um, he, would, he signed off on peanut butter that was tainted with salmonella. Instead of throwing it away and losing that money on that batch of peanut butter, he signed off on it. They found him guilty for signing off on it. Seven people died, and many other people got sick because of tainted peanut butter. Um, and when they traced it back to the company, they, they found the records. They saw he signed off on it. He knew it was contaminated. He went to jail. And uh, so, like, what were you thinking? You know, like, it, you have to, like, just unpack that for a second and say, if he had just said, you know, this is tainted peanut butter, it's, it's, it could cause some harm. It could kill somebody. Let's just throw it away and be done with it. We'll lose. You know, what do you think you're going to lose on a batch of peanut butter? I have no idea. Let's say it's you know, half a million dollars. So what? You know, write it off. Take the hit. Move on. Um, but it was such a short-sighted thing because, I mean, what if would he give that peanut butter to his own family? You know? And so uh, you start to look at that and really, I mean, I bet now, he's sitting in jail now probably, thinking, God, if I just made one decision differently, if, I, if I'd done something a little bit different, I'd really pause to consider the ethical implications or the consequences of this decision, things, things might have been different, you know. He could have retired. He probably was worth millions of dollars and just you know, lived his life. Employees often follow the example set by their managers. That is, leaders and managers establish patterns of behavior that determine what's acceptable and what is not within an organization. In addition to providing a system to resolve ethical dilemmas, organizations also provide formal training to develop an awareness 
of questionable business activities and practice appropriate responses. Many companies have some type of ethics training program. Most large companies and thousands of smaller ones have created, printed, and distributed codes of ethics. In general, a code of ethics provides employees with the knowledge of what their firm expects in terms of their responsibilities and behavior toward fellow employees, customers, and suppliers. So, yeah, does anybody work somewhere that has a code of ethics? What does it entail? Do you know, kind of, or? Right. We can't go run after a shoplifter. Right. I don't know who's going to run after a shoplifter, but it's not us. Uh, we can't. We have to have a good attitude at work. We can actually get fired if we don't have a good attitude. Uh-huh. And that's really all I have to talk about. Okay. Um, yep. I've worked at several different places, and they all had a code of ethics to, to go by. And. Um, it's important because you have to realize most people don't do what you're doing right now. I mean, a lot of people go to college, but most people don't graduate. Most people don't study ethics and they don't understand or really connect the dots of what does it mean? You know, they just think that, you know, oh, I know the difference between right and wrong. Well, do you really? Um, most people don't know what an ethical dilemma is and they don't really take the time to think about the consequences of choice. What you do matters, you know, like, I, I mean, you know, you see cases that pop up in the news every day and you look at it and you think, why did that person do that? Why did they make that choice? And if they had done something a little bit differently, if they made one different choice, it would have changed the outcome tremendously for everybody involved, you know. Um, you know, the airline pilot that drinks too much, you know, or does drugs, things like that, or, uh, you know, this, uh, there was an example of a uh, accountant that worked for an auto dealer, big auto dealer, and she was embezzling money. She created a shell company. She paid uh, this shell company monthly, you know, they, they sent a bill, they paid it, she paid it. She was the shell company, basically. She embezzled $2 million from this company over many years, you know, and she got caught. She went to jail. And it's just, I mean, what are people thinking, you know? Uh, once they do something and get away with it once, it's like it's open the door. It's like, oh, I can't stop now. You know, I've already done it. The idea that Bernie Madoff like, swindled $65 billion. That's, I mean, I mean, there was many, many people's life savings obliterated from this guy, you know. Um, there's a really good one on Netflix right now. It's called Fire, F-Y-R-E. It's about the Fire Festival. Has anybody seen this? So there's one on Hulu and there's one on Netflix. Wow, talk about some ethical dilemmas. Um, it's about a guy, um, I can't remember his name right off the top of my head, but a young man, he was only in his like, mid-20s, like maybe late-20s, and he wanted to start a media company where it's an app that you can uh, book talent for, like, you can get, like, Rihanna to come to your birthday if you've got, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars or something like that, or get, get celebrities to show up and things. That's, that's the kind of app it was going to be. And in order to promote the app, he wanted to throw a festival, you know, like, what do you call it, Coachella or something like that, or big, big music festival. And he wanted to throw the festival on an island, a private island in the Bahamas. And so he went to investors and sold them on the idea, hey, give me millions of dollars. We're going to throw a festival. It's going to be brilliant. We're going to have a lot of artists there. We're going to have influencers and models. People are going to pay big money to come do this. He raised 30, almost $30 million to throw a party out on this Bohemian island. 
but he had no experience in throwing events. If you've ever, like, the people that talk about it after the fact, like event planners that were a part of it, they said there was no way feasible on earth we could throw this type of event with, like, a two-month lead time. I mean, you've got to think, the Bohemian Island doesn't have the infrastructure needed. They were going to have to build, like, just, just restroom facilities. Where are people going to go to the bathroom, right? I mean, we're going to get, I mean, you know, 200 porter potties and put them out there? Or, I mean, what are they going to do, you know? How were they going to get fresh water from? Where are they going to have uh, people sleeping? So they, they built a website, and they had this, they were selling villas that people can go stay in on the beach, like these Arabian-looking tents, you know, and you go in, and they're, like, very lush with plants and really comfortable-looking beds and pillows and, you know, really expensive tickets. I mean, people were spending thousands of dollars to go to this party, and they were advertising with Victoria's Secret models on jet skis and, I mean, it's really blown up. And then after they booked all these people, they were running out of money. So then they went back to their customers and said, you need to put money on wristbands so you can have a cashless experience. He raised another $2 million from his customers to put money on wristbands to go spend at this party that they were not going to have. And the day before the party, uh, the event, they were, they were not, even, not even close to being halfway prepared all these people started showing up, and it was a huge debacle. Um, there was nowhere for them to stay, really, and all these people from the United States and other places were stranded on this island, and uh, they ended up multi-million dollar lawsuits against him and the company. He ended up going to jail for seven years. Um, while he got out on bail before he got sentenced, um, he started another company and started scamming again. Well, the judge got wind of that, revoked his bail, put him in jail to wait for sentencing, he got seven years, and he's in jail right now. So I think he's due to get out in 2023 or four. So if you get a chance, watch that on Netflix. It's called Fire, F-Y-R-E. Really interesting, and it goes very – it stares ethical dilemma right in the face because at any point, this guy could have done the right thing. He could have said – he got in so deep that he could not have the party. He had to deliver something. You know, if, if people show them that it's a bad experience, well, at least they delivered something. It's like getting a bad pizza. You still got a pizza, right? Well, it just didn't work out. You know, they, he, he conned these people and took their money, and now he's in jail. So, acting in an ethical manner is one of the four components of the pyramid of corporate social responsibility, which is a concern of businesses for the welfare of society as a whole. It consists of obligations beyond those required by law or union contract. So being in business, this is an intro to business class, the core foundation reason for business to exist is to turn a profit for its investors, correct? So we start a business, we go into business to make money. For the most part, there's other reasons, but that's generally why people pursue business. It's called the profit motive. However, um, there are other obligations that a corporation owes society. Um, even, even if we feel like it doesn't owe society, society feels like it owes us in something. Because um, if you'll go to big box stores like Walmart or Target, very, at the very front they'll have a board that says, look how we give back. You've seen those? We donated $1,200 to the local school. We built a park over here. We did a scholarship over there. You know, those are, they put that there so customers can kind of see, you know, oh, we made $80 million in revenue from you guys last year, but we gave back 5000 So don't hate us, you know. So, uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm joking, but uh, on a large corporate level for big companies that have a lot of revenue, there is a ton of giving. 
Part of that is not uh, holistic, though. Part of that is um, because they want the tax benefits of giving. You know, there is a tax benefit there. So, so looking at this, the core level is the economic responsibility because a corporation must be profitable to survive. Its economic responsibilities form the base of the pyramid. Um, cash flow is like air and blood to a company. Without cash flow, you can drop very quickly. Um, you can have a stellar company, does things really well. You go a month or two or three without good cash flow, it can close your doors. It just can. I mean, you can't meet your obligations. Then, unless you've got access to credit and you have to go into debt to stay alive, you're, you're done. That's just, that's, it happens all the time. The next step is legal responsibilities. Corporation must, of course, follow the law. The second level of the pyramid recognizes that legal considerations are also necessary for a corporation's success. Ethical responsibilities are the next tier. Resting on the foundation set by economic and legal responsibilities are ethical responsibilities. A corporation can turn its attention to ethical matters only after ensuring its economic and legal positions. Are we doing uh, what's right by our investors, our shareholders? Are, are we meeting our economic responsibilities? Are we following the law? If those things are true, then we can look at our ethical responsibilities. And then last, if everything else is correct, then we can start talking about philanthropic responsibilities. The highest level of the triangle, philanthropic responsibilities can become uh, be considered only after economic, legal, and ethical responsibilities. And this is where the, the giving and uh, the, the good measures come in, trying to do things to benefit society. Um, so let's talk about these two uh, dichotomies a little bit. Illegal and irresponsible behavior versus irresponsible but legal behavior. So just because something is legal doesn't make it ethical or responsible. And just because something uh, you view as irresponsible doesn't make it illegal. I know that's kind of like a tongue twister, but let's give you an example. So it may be legal for companies to pump tons of pollution into the air, as an example. Does that, is that good for society, though? You know? um, one of the interesting things that happened uh, as a result of the coronavirus was air quality improved in certain places. You, you, they, were, they were talking about it in the news that uh, because uh, there's not as many cars on the road, people are staying home because uh, factories are not operating as, as not as much output, uh, it has reduced emissions in the air, and so air quality improved. Um, so just because it's legal to pollute the air, you know, with, with whatever we're doing, doesn't mean it's the responsible or ethical thing to do. Um, so illegal and irresponsible behavior, the idea of corporate social responsibility is so widespread today that it's hard to conceive of a company continually acting in illegal and irresponsible ways. Nevertheless, such actions do sometimes occur, which can create financial ruin for organizations extreme financial hardships for many former employees, and general struggles for the community in which they operate. So let's talk, and it's an example of illegal and irresponsible behavior. Does anybody remember a company called Enron? Enron? It was big about 20 years ago, so it's, most of you guys are 20, so. <laughs> yeah. How old are you, Sean? Okay, I knew you were getting closer to my age, though, but you don't remember Enron? Or WorldCom, they were big like debacles about two. Yeah, it was it was yeah that's that's right. So Enron 
was basically doing this. Um, they were getting creative with accounting. Um, they were basically on the book saying, we see that we're going to be profitable in the next quarter or two, um, and we're going to book that profit now on our balance sheet. And it's basically unrealized profit is what they were, they were trying to uh, show to their investors. And so when investors looked at it, it wasn't just it wasn't presented as unrealized profit. The way you would view it was this is profit. And let's go back to this slide right here. This idea right here of giving or allowing false impressions. This number three bullet, sorry. Yeah, giving or allowing false impressions. That's basically what they did. They presented a false impression of what their profitability was. And it allowed the company's stock to skyrocket. You know, this was what, this was an energy company, and they kept on doing it, and they kept on doing it, and they just took the money, and were doing all kinds of uh, very expensive, lavish things. You know, going to they were going to like Greek islands and having, you know, parties and stuff, and it ended up blowing up. The company went bankrupt. Um, billions and billions of dollars went down the tubes. Most of the employees had all their life savings in Enron stock because. The company would issue them stock as a part of their 401k plan, and so they just they saw the stocks doing well. They kept their money in that. Some of them put even more in money into it, you know, and so billions lost, people's entire life savings gone. I mean, it's hard to recover if you've been building something for 15, 20 years, you know. I mean, most people work 30 to 40 years, so if you've been saving for a big chunk of that, and you put a lot of your eggs in that basket, you know, that's that's a shame. So that's just one example of this illegal, irresponsible behavior, and there's so many others. So let's talk about irresponsible but legal behavior. Some companies act irresponsibly, yet their actions are legal. For example, the Minnesota-based company that makes MyPillow was recently fined $1 million by the state of California for making unsubstantiated claims that most comfortable pillow you ever own could help alleviate medical conditions such as snoring, fibromyalgia, migraines, and other disorders. So does anybody own a MyPillow? Anybody? I don't. My, my, my aunt has one and my dad has, has one, and they both say they're really comfortable. And I've touched one in the store, and it just doesn't seem like it'd be that comfortable to me. It doesn't seem like there's anything magic about it. It's just stuff with some stuff, you know? I don't, I don't, I don't know. So, I don't know. But the MyPillow guy on TV kills me. Every time I see this guy, I'm like, God, he really loves that pillow. He's like holding it like a baby, you know? He's just like squeezing it and loving it. And I'm like, what's up with this guy, you know? So, but he's made a ton of money selling those my pillows. So he's doing something right, you know? But yeah, I mean, you can't, you know, tell people something that you can't back up. You know, you're making, making claims that you can't uh, substantiate. That's, that's not good. So, um, so what makes a company be admired or perceived as socially responsible? Um, such a company meets its obligations to its stakeholders. Stakeholders are individuals or groups to whom a business has responsibility. The stakeholders of a business are its employees, its customers, the general public, and its investors. Just because um, you don't have to be an investor, you don't have to be a customer, but a company impacts you in some way that makes you a stakeholder. Let me give you an example. Um, there could be a company on this road that has like 500 employees, so there's another company, and because uh, I come to work on this road, there's a lot of traffic that gets backed up. Um, that makes me like an, a stakeholder in that company because I'm connected to its, its consequences of being there. And 
um, let's say that they do some type of goodwill thing for the community, I could be an indirect stakeholder of that. You know, I benefit from this company being here, even though I'm not a customer, an employee, or I don't, I'm not a supplier. I mean, so stakeholders are basically people that are connected to the company through indirect ways or directly, you know, somebody that uh, has some type of line that you can draw. So let's talk about different levels of responsibilities. Um, responsibility to employees. An organization's first responsibility is to provide a job to its employees. Keeping people employed and letting them have time to enjoy the fruits of their labor is the finest thing a business can do for society. Beyond this fundamental responsibility, employers must provide a clean, safe working environment that's free from all forms of discrimination. Companies should also strive to provide job security whenever possible. A lot of things to unpack there. Um, we used to live in a time, or we used to ha have a time where uh, job security or job safety or clean work environments were not really that important. I mean, you know, if you look at the early days of the Industrial Revolution, people would go to factory work, dangerous working conditions, dangerous uh, uh, time that they had to be in there, you know. So you might be around some high-moving machinery, get your arm chopped off, they say, too bad, that's, that's no good. No workman's comp, no medical. They just uh, you know, sent you home, hope you made it. They'll hire somebody else to fill your spot. You know, that's, that's just uh, the way it was. Thankfully, we've kind of evolved from that, and now we have guidelines as to which you know, are designed to protect employees and the public. Um, you can't operate a business and have uh, poor working conditions and things that are considered dangerous to employees and the public, uh, the, the government will come in there and uh, make you con comply to regulations. So let's talk about responsibility to the customers. Uh, before that, though, I want to say one more thing. So it's nice to have this idea that you have this relationship with an employer and the employer is supposed to provide all these nice amenities, bells and whistles. But really, at the end of the day, it's they value you for the value you bring to them. And that's the extent of the relationship. Um, I think people get all bent out of shape, and I, you know, I've been there, where you you think there's more than this value exchange, and there's really there's really not, you know, because like if I drop dead today, hope I hope I don't, but if I did, they'd be job posting emails going out, you know. So, and then in, in a few years, I'd be like, you remember that guy Ryan? He used to teach out there. Yeah, maybe I don't know. So you know, yeah. I mean, we have this illusion that. We, you know, bring more value than we do, but I mean, you know, we do bring value, but don't don't confuse the fact that an employer's obligations to you are limited. Their their obligation is to provide you a safe working environment, hopefully job security, uh, and comp fair compensation. But beyond that, you know, that's kind of it. So, responsibility to customers to be a successful company in today's business environment, a company must satisfy its customers. That's what we're talking about, satisfying an unmet need, whether it's a product or service. A firm must deliver what it promises, as well as be honest and forthright in everyday interactions with customers, suppliers, and others. Recent research suggests that many consumers, particularly millennials, prefer to do business with companies and brands that communicate social responsibility and messages, utilize stable manufacturing processes, and practice ethical business standards. Guess what? Being a good ethical company is good from a customer perspective. It's good from an employee and an employer perspective. I don't like to work at places that I feel are doing unethical things. You know, I mean, 
I'm not saying the car industry or car sales is unethical, but I felt like there was a few things, a few cases where I felt like this is a little sketchy. Give you one example. Um, I used to work for Toyota, and this is not a thing against Toyota at all, but I came from a customer service background, and when I got there and when I sold cars for a little while, they told me at one point, you need to get off the side of the customer. You hear you work for us. And that seemed odd to me. It seemed odd that why would I not want to provide the best value I can for my customer, but I'm not there to provide value for the customer. I'm there to provide value for the business and try to get them the most money they can. And so that was a real weird kind of thing for me to kind of wrap my head around. And I never really wrapped my head around it. I was like, look, I only stayed six months. It just didn't feel right, you know. And so there were other things that were like another case of, I had a lady come in and she bought a car from me um, and she paid full sticker value, which is unheard of. I only had that happen once where somebody will come in, here's the price on the sticker, I'll pay that amount. And it just seemed so weird that, that she did that. And in my mind, the whole time I'm thinking, all she has to do is say, give me a discount. And we would knock off a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, whatever, you know, we could. But she never asked. So I never mentioned it and I felt bad about it, you know. I got a bigger commission. But it didn't feel right, you know, and so uh, those are those are those, that was ethical dilemmas for me, and so um, I just think that you know you don't want to work somewhere where you're feeling like uh, you know I don't know it just doesn't feel right. Not to say I mean there's a lot of good people in the car industry, but just for me some of the things I experienced left me feel left me really considering is this what I want to do? So responsibility to society. A business must also be responsible to society. A business provides a community with jobs, goods, and services. It also pays taxes that go back to support schools, hospitals, and better roads. Some companies have taken an additional step to demonstrate their commitment to stakeholders and society as a whole by becoming certified benefit corporations, or B Corps for short. And these are um, corporations that are uh, basically in existence to turn a profit, but also to do a, to benefit society in some way. Um, environmental protection, business is also responsible for protecting and improving the world's fragile environment. The world's forests are being deforested fast. Every second, an area the size of a football field is laid bare. Every second, football field gone. Most of that is due to um, animal agriculture, people clearing um, the forest areas to put you know hogs and, and cows on so they can raise them to to consume uh, plants and animal species are becoming extinct at a rate of 17 per hour a continent-sized hole is opening up in the earth's protective ozone shield each year we throw out 80 percent more refuse than we did in 1960 as a result more than half of the nation's landfill are filled to capacity so um I wouldn't consider myself an environmentalist because I am a consumer. I consume a lot, but I am an environmentalist to the extent that I'm aware of the problem. I do try to be mindful of what I do to reduce waste. I don't drive the most fuel-efficient car, um, but I think that we collectively as a society, and I think technology is going to be the great uh, thing that helps us here, it's going to help us reduce waste. It's going to help us um, be more efficient. Um, there's no reason at this point why we shouldn't all be driving fuel-efficient cars. It's just we just haven't made that decision as a society. But it's going to um, – the thing about technolo technological shifts is they happen very fast. 
Um, like there was a time my first cell phone was a bag phone. It was in my car. It was like connected to a bag and it had a cord on it. You know, it's weird, you know. And this was like not that long ago, 20, 24 years ago. I was, I was 16. I had a bag phone. But, um, and that phone was expensive. I forgot what my dad paid for it, but it's like over $1,000, I think, you know, for that phone. But so 25 years later, that bag phone, the phone I carry with me in my pocket is probably a thousand times uh, more powerful and it can do a lot of free things. It's got a map on it. It's got, you know, email communication. It's got text messaging. It's got uh, weather information. I mean, all of this stuff is provided to you for free. As long as you've got a connection, you can access that information. So technology is deflationary. It allows you to do things more and more efficiently. Um, right now, like solar, it's, it's still kind of expensive, but it's gotten cheaper. But over time, the idea of getting solar panels on your house will be a common thing. Houses will be built with them pre-installed, and that's just going to be a norm from now on. Um, so responsibility to investors, companies' relationship with investors also entails social responsibility. Although a company's economic responsibility to make a profit might seem to be its main obligation to its shareholders, some investors increasingly are putting more emphasis on other aspects of social responsibility. So these are some of the frameworks that companies have to look through and consider. Are we doing the right thing by our employees, our customers, society, the environment, and to our investors? And so changes in corporate philanthropy, over time we've gotten to this idea of strategic giving and in which ties philanthropy and corporate social, social responsibility efforts closely to a company's mission. So if you're a technology company, uh, let's say Apple, for example. Apple gives away a ton of iPads to education uh, institutions. Um, and so that's kind of their one of their niches. Apple also is more and more getting into the medical side of things with the Apple Watch. Um, every year or every other year, it seems like they add a new feature that helps people uh, either kind of uh, as a diagnostic for a heart or like an EKG or the new one's going to have an O2 sensor on it. And before you know it, it'll be able to check your blood pressure. So um, more and more, they're doing that as a, a way to address medical concerns you know, in, in, the, in the world. So a social contract between employer-employee. Employee. Another trend in social responsibility is the effort by organizations to redefine their relationship with their employees. Many people have viewed social responsibility as a one-way street that focuses on the obligations of business to society, employees, and others. Now companies recognize that the social contract between employer and employee is an important aspect of the workplace and that both groups have a commitment, have to be committed to working together in order for the organization to prosper. In this last part, global ethics and social responsibility. When U.S. business expands its global markets, they must take their code of ethics and policies on corporate social responsibility with them. As a citizen of several countries, a multinational corporation has several responsibilities. These include respecting local practices and customs, ensuring that there is harmony between the organization's staff and the host population, providing management leadership, and developing a solid group of local managers who will be a credit to their community. So, like using Apple as an example, they have a core ethics and belief that they, they apply universally, no matter where they go, they, they have this idea that they're going to do good. That's, 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 that's kind of their mantra, what they want to do. But they do have to make adjustments depending on where they're at, and they use their leadership team 
to be a kind of liaisons between the company and the community, regardless of where they're at. So any questions on ethics, corporate social responsibility, anything like that? Guys, mighty quiet for Thursday, I know. Week two, we're wrapping up, so. All right, guys, don't forget about homework. Uh, chapter one and chapter two are due tomorrow night. Next week, we'll be talking about chapter three only, so that'll kind of give you guys a little breather from having to do two sets of assignments. Uh, and going forward, we should just be doing one, one set per week. Unless we have some type of change, we might have to make some adjustments. So uh, in any case, if you need anything at all, don't, don't hesitate to reach out to me, okay? All right, guys, have a good weekend, and I plan to see you next Thursday. I'll see you Tuesday, Sean. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending some time with me on the podcast. I hope you got something out of it and learned something that you can use in the world and share with others. If you did like it, please indicate so by liking, sharing, or going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Until next time, I wish you well.